I'd say five years ago, there weren't that many white collar crimes. They really okay. went for the guns and the drugs. And now maybe it's because of the, uh, it's an election year and you know, the administration wants to say, we got all this money back. Um, it's really kind of what people are seeing around the United States. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast, where I get the chance as your host, Dr. Jim Hoven, to talk to cool people doing cool things, making a difference every single day. And today I have a really unique and special opportunity to visit with someone who has an expertise in what we would call white collar issues, white collar law. And we're going to talk more about that with my guest, Michael Song. And I, I'm telling you, this is something they're going to want to pay attention to, because as we delve into this, as we dig in and peel off the layers, I think you're going to be surprised about what you hear. So uh, hang on, buckle up, and let's get going. We also might talk a little about CrossFit. All right. <laughs> so without further ado, uh, Mr. Michael Song, he's one of the partners over at Cantafin, uh, Cantafin, Help me with it. Cantafio and Cantafio. Song. Cantafio. Cantafio. Man, why is that so hard? I know. Cantafio and Song. Uh, Mr. Michael Song, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jim. It's Appreciate it. absolutely a pleasure. And, and so before we start, I will tell you, um, for those of you watching, you'll be able to see this as we go, but uh, Michael and I, we've never met. Nope. And so just coming here today, you have an incredible energy about you. Oh, and, thanks. And man. I have that from, from time to time. And every time I see it in a guest, and someone who comes on the show, I always want to remark about it because it's not it's not normal. So when I feel someone or I have someone that that has this thing about them, like ready to go, there's a positivity, there's an energy, but also there's a there's a calmness that yeah. is really cool. So you know, you guys will see it that are watching, yeah. but for those of you listening, um, this is going to be fun. So yeah. man, Michael, again, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you. All right. So let's talk about a little bit about first what you do in white collar law. What does that look like for right. white collar crime and what, what is white collar crime? Right, well, I'll be honest with you. I, uh, I never considered myself an expert in the field in really anything. But uh, what I realized after about eight years of being a federal prosecutor in AUSA in the District of Columbia and also in the District of Hawaii, I kind of realized that I knew what the government was gonna do because I'd been there. Yeah. Right. And that was a special skill set that I could utilize when I was defending some of my clients. Right. So white collar, it's kind of a, a title that's been given to economic crimes, if you will, financial crimes, fraud. Right. We're talking about anything from identity theft to a Ponzi scheme. Right. And when you go federal, like I was, we're talking about amounts, dollar amounts that probably exceed, I would say the threshold for each U.S. attorney's office is different, but it would have to at least be over $100,000, $150,000. Really? Right. Um, and so, you know, right now what I'm seeing is I've been getting a, a lot of PPP loan fraud cases. And explain what that would look yeah. like. So the government, specifically, you know, the president and the administration, they've been really focusing on those individuals that unlawfully applied for PPP or emergency uh, disaster loans during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. As you recall, companies were allowed to uh, file grants, loans, to the government to get money so they could survive through the pandemic. And it was very useful for a lot of companies. Um, 
But of course, it was also an, an opportunity for, un, for certain individuals to take advantage of that and obtain that money unlawfully. So the Department of Justice has, they always have, you know, certain kind of um, goals or, you know, things they're going after, you know, for when I was there was Project Safe Neighborhood, right, mm -hmm. where they were trying to keep, you know, drugs off the streets, you know, by, away from schools. And so now it's focusing on this PPP loan fraud. I mean, I mean, probably over a billion dollars was Are probably obtained illegally, right? And so what we're seeing is that the Small Business uh, Administration is now working with DOJ and they've developed a system to detect if numbers don't match um, and then they further investigate and now even in the District of Colorado, there are special prosecutors that are just focused on indicting these uh, PPP loan, EIDL kind of loan fraud cases. And so uh, what role would you play in, in your firm? Would, would you guys come in and, and assist with that or where? Right, right. Yeah. so you know, again, because of my uh, experience as a federal prosecutor, I kind of know, you know the process. Yes. And I kind of know kind of how to limit um, you know, potential liability, if you will, potential jail time, if you will, yes. on certain clients. So I assist in that, right? Yep. I can kind of tell, you know, my clients, you know, these are difficult cases, and if they don't have this, we may have an opportunity to ask for a lower sentence or go to trial or things of that nature so mm -hmm. that it benefits my client. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that experience really helps, mm -hmm. right? And also, I do think that there is kind of an unwritten kind of rule or law where, you know, if you were once a federal prosecutor and you kind of contact a federal prosecutor, they're like, oh, okay, so you've been where I've been, right? Yes. And so I respect that, I respect what you do. You have contacts at the office, you know? And so, you know, deep down inside, although we kind of litigate and we're adversarial, you know, people are people, right? right. We all have our implicit biases. We all have our explicit biases, right? So it's important to know those because when you're dealing with that federal prosecutor or that agent, right, you know, being, you know, very kind of bellicose or belligerent isn't going to help you at all, right? And so I think attorneys are always important in any type of law to kind of be that buffer, mm -hmm. right? Where I'm going to say, hey, I don't want you to be the bad guy. Right. You don't tell the officer that you're not going to want to talk to them. Let me do that, mm -hmm. right? So that he doesn't get mad at you. He gets mad at me, right? And so I want him to like you, right? And so I think that's important, especially, you know, when you're trying to get a special result for your client, right? Uh, but, you know, white collar, you know, it's just kind of um, something that's really on the rise. I mean, I'd say five years ago, there weren't that many white collar crimes. They really okay. went for the guns and the drugs. And now maybe it's because of the uh, it's an election year, and you know the administration wants to say we got all this money back. Um, it's really kind of what people are seeing around the United States. Is it a matter of technology improvements and increasing why white collar crime might be on the rise as well? Is there any any correlation to that where now more people have access to more? systems that can get into or backdoor or back channel or whatever is there any have you seen any of that be a a cause and i know you know we're talking the, the interesting thing is we're talking about it from you on coming from one side if you will of the right. table to the other but you are still looking at the trends you have to see them just like this this latest ppp trend that you talked about <clears throat> 
election years and money to get back. Those are I, I, that I get that. Right. What What are some other things that might cause that? Again, you hear about credit card people getting their identities taken and all this stuff. Right. What, what's causing? Well, I, I think part of it is the economy. Okay. Right. I think um, you know if the economy was you know doing great and you know everyone had a job and all that, you probably would have less kind of you know fraud or economic crimes mm -hmm. um, but in terms of technology I think if anything you know it's kind of helped both sides sure. it's helped the potential criminals because they have access now to social media they can market better they can kind of pique people's interest to start their Ponzi scheme and on the flip side I mean right you know like certain organizations now have the technology to kind of detect variations where this doesn't make sense something mm -hmm. doesn't add up Mm -hmm. Right. And so, uh, yeah, technology has been an incredible factor in terms of, you know, um, how people operate, how people can commit crimes quicker and how people can kind of locate crimes quicker. I mean, back in the day, we never had a cybersecurity section at any U.S. attorney's office. And now every U.S. attorney's office has a cybersecurity section. Right. In terms of what's going on, how are they kind of you know, committing fraud and things of that nature. So yeah, technology has definitely um, uh, helped both sides in terms of, you know, quickly committing the crime, taking the money, putting it somewhere else, and also for us to kind of be able to locate crime and say, well, there's something not, we're following the money and the money's going this way and we've detected that it's going to these accounts and, you know, our computer system, you know, analyzes these things. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's good for both. Yes. I, I'm sure you get asked this question a lot, and it's it's one that I think about, and I've asked it one other time on the podcast to a person who did something similar to you, but not in white-collar crime, right? right? They, they were kind of a criminal uh, defense person, and they right. do a great job. And and it, it always is fascinating to me to say, okay, you were on the prosecution side, and you went to the defense side. Was there something in you that that said, like you made that decision for a conscious reason. Oh yeah. What is it that creates that in you that makes you say, yeah, you know, I've seen this side, I've seen this side, and I, I want to do this kind of law. Right. You know, I think part of it is that you can get burned out. Sure. Right. I mean, if you're a federal prosecutor or any kind of prosecutor, you sometimes tend to prosecute the same crimes. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office, I had memorized my opening and closing because they all kind of sounded the same, right? Mm -hmm. And so there was a little bit of that. And the other thing is, I will tell you that I'm a very kind of outgoing person. And, um, you know, I wanna meet people and I wanna have friends and I wanna help my community. And, you know, a lot of times when you work for the government, um, it's a very monastic life, right? Because you can't have friends. And if your friends ask you about something, you're like, I can't talk about that. Nope, I can't, I can't do that, right? And so, you know, um, I miss that part of just being out there and helping people and giving, you know, helping people meet other people and things like that. So I think it was more that. And also, you know, let's just be honest, you know, you know, the salary for the government salary isn't all that it could be. Yeah. I think uh, some of those government, government workers deserve a lot more mm -hmm. um, and raising a family and, you know, you know, with the the different kind of things that are going on in this world in terms of you know, private school, public school, and you know, what have you, you know, 
it's, it's difficult uh, yes. to, to raise a family on just one government salary. So, you know, it was also a business decision as well. Yeah. yeah. And so when you started meeting clients, did you see them from a different perspective? So in other words, you were on the prosecution side, now you're on the defense side, and maybe it was for the exact same thing, maybe something you were coming after someone for, and I don't know if this happened, but if you were you know, coming after someone from this side of the table, now you're, now you're on their team. Did it help you look at them different as a human being or from a situation, or how did that play out? Yeah, I absolutely believe that it helped. Because you know, people that just look at things from one side, no matter how they want to say, I understand where you're coming from. Let's be honest. You don't understand where someone's coming from because you haven't been in their shoes. Mm -hmm. You don't know what it's like, right? Uh, and you don't get that opportunity because you're on the government side. You can't talk to the defendant. You can talk to his lawyer, right? So what I learned from this side is like, wow, you know, it's not that he's facing jail. He's got to take care of his mom, you know, his kids, these things. You learn more about the history and you learn, it humanizes the, the person. And I would have never knew that if I was just on one side. Mm -hmm. So as much as you try to sympathize with a, uh, you know, a defendant on the prosecution side, you really don't get to go all in until you kind of reach that side. And that's why I think, you know, great prosecutors, fair prosecutors are individuals that have been on both sides, right? So they can see the good, they can see the good on both sides and they can make an impartial decision or a plea offer. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you where it just makes sense to just be well-rounded, Yeah, right? To have that experience with the prosecution and have that experience with the defense. And did you ever find, or do you find that sometimes you know that this person did whatever they're accused of doing I think you would have to separate your job. Your job is to say, did the prosecution miss something? Did they do it incorrectly? So that even if the person did it, then they shouldn't necessarily face the maximum penalty under law. Or maybe you, you think they're innocent and they, they didn't do it. But is there ever a thing that you have to deal with with saying, man, I think they did it. And man, they, they took people's retirement and now all these people are hurting to where you go, I don't really like you very much, but it's my job to try to help you. Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah I think it's all, I mean, if you're a human, yeah, of course yeah. it's a thing, right? I mean, there are certain clients that you really gravitate towards. There are certain clients that, you know, you probably are like, wow, wow. I mean, okay, that's, that's <laughs> okay. tough, that's tough, right? But uh -huh. I think, you know, your job as a professional is to, really zealously represent your client and get them the best result possible. Um, and, you know, you can't, uh, you have to try and just kind of block out any kind of, you know, internal feelings or biases that you may have and, you know, understand that they're coming to you uh, because they trust you and they believe in you. And so you got to do your best. Just do your best. That's right. And I imagine when it comes to you guys as a group of attorneys, whether you're on prosecution, defense, I know with what we do here, when our lit team goes to court and they're actually in the courtroom, some of the attorneys, it's it's interesting to me to see, because you know I, I'm on the provider side in, in my, when I was doing my thing, and now I'm on the business development side here at the law firm, where um, you know we're all comrades trying to do the same thing, we're working for the same cause, but when I watch these people do battle, in trials sometimes when they get done they're like 
remember the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote back in the day? There, yeah. There's one episode where they're just both going to work, punching their tickets, right. and then they, they end up at the end of the day going to their families. Is it that way between prosecutor and defense in some cases where some like, man, it's personal. I don't like you, you don't like me, right. and I wanna take you down professionally right. with our thing. Is that is there a lot of that, or is it mostly a, a camaraderie between you guys just well, doing your jobs? Yeah, you know, if there is, it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. If, there, if there are people taking it personally, they shouldn't take it personally, uh-huh. right? I think you're probably, you've probably been in the job too long. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't take it personally. Um, the only time I would take it personally if, you know, is a, is another attorney like personally attacked, you know, my integrity or my client's integrity when it wasn't deserved, right? But, you know, I will say the one difference between a civil and a criminal case is that there's a lot more at stake in a criminal case, mm-hmm. right? You're talking about someone's freedom, yes, right? And in a litigation case, it's really about money when you break it down. And so I think people realize that. And so they do take it a lot more kind of, you know, because everyone says civil law is not always that civil. Yeah, great <laughs> yeah, point. Criminal law is probably more civil because, you know, there's, you know, I mean, there's a lot at stake, right? And so when you take someone's freedom away, I think everyone, you know, treats it professionally and they're very solemn and they definitely try to stay above board, you know, and that's why, you know, the, the federal prosecutors and the DAs, they're very well vetted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about then when you, um, do you ever find that you have to have a philosophy or a strategy? Now, if you come across people in the civilian market outside of attorney to attorney, so now it's more attorney to just regular man on the street and they know that you helped someone that, you know, that the court of public opinion said this guy's, you know, wrong and a dirt bag or whatever when you encounter those people i to me that would be hard you know for yeah. from if i'm in your position to be like look you know i know your feelings are hurt especially what if it's the family outside the courtroom maybe you've dealt with us a thousand times where right. when you win then someone feels like they lost right? right like is that hard you know i would say um it's always hard right because there are always victims um, in these white collar cases, a lot of times they're banks. Some of times they're other families, like in Ponzi schemes, financial institutions. Um, the government can be a victim as well. Mm. Um, so in white collar crimes, yeah, I mean you 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 know that, right? Uh, but you know that's something that you have to kind of keep in the back of your mind, and uh, when you're defending your client. But it's also things that you front, right? You know, like. I always tell my clients the first thing you should do is apologize and accept responsibility, right? That goes a long way. Sometimes people just forget that and they go to, hey, this is why I shouldn't go to jail, right? But, you know, it's truly kind of an acceptance of responsibility when you are at sentencing. Um, and a lot, most of the people, they always apologize to the victims, mm-hmm. right? So that's the best they can do with where they're at in life right mm-hmm. now, right? They can't mm-hmm. afford to pay for this or pay, and you know, there's always restitution. But yeah, I mean, it's it's always difficult. And I know a lot of people don't like doing criminal law because of that, right? right. Because you're dealing with people that have you know committed crimes. Mm-hmm. But I look at the other side and say, these people also need a great defense. Yes, You can't just leave them hanging and being like, well, you're on your own, you made your bed now late. No, you can't do that. That's not, that's not a, how our, legal system works you know I, I never call it our justice system because 
Justice means so many different things to so many different people, right? What is justice, right? What we have is our legal system. This is our legal system. Like it or not, it's one of the best in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So is it justice? You could say it is. Someone else could say it isn't. But it's our legal system, right? And so that's kind of how, how I look at it. And what about, you brought up this term of restitution, and yeah. um, I was very loosely involved with one of these things where I was the victim, and, and thank goodness um, I got out just in time, but some really close friends of mine lost all their savings yeah. from a person who was a friend of ours and was an advisor to us, and I, I know him as a human where, you know, some people say this guy is, you know, the devil and because of what happened i i knew him as a brother right you know and so it was it was very challenging and and when it came to restitution so this guy you know went to jail for a couple of decades and this and that but when it comes to restitution how does how does that work you, you said like they're ordered restitution is there a fund or something that happens or if the person isn't you know they lost all the money that they tried to steal or they yeah. hit it offshore or something. Is there something for these victims or are they just basically out of luck? Yeah, some of them unfortunately are out of luck. You know, our legal system is based on kind of a two concept thing when it comes to uh, sentencing um, and it's, you know, rehabilitation and also punishment. And, um, you know, when you sentence someone who's just say, let's say they sold a million dollars, right? Now he's sentenced to, let's say three years in jail he's not gonna be able to repay you because no one's gonna hire him, mm -hmm. right? He's also got to live the rest of his life, right? And so he's gonna have to make money, he's gonna have to find a place to live, put food on the table. So in, in terms of restitution, they will work with the defendant in terms of maybe taking 10% of his salary, right? Where they kind of oversee and say, okay, how much is he making? Where is he working? Mm -hmm. You need to start looking for a job. If you don't, look, if you don't find a job, we're gonna go to the court and say, you're not trying your best. And then they'll just take 10% of his kind of gross salary to kind of pay all the victims back. Will you get something? Yeah, but if you lost a million dollars, you probably won't see that until like, you know, way down the road, yeah. right? Is there any insurance that people can buy ahead of time for being scammed? I, I don't, I've never heard of <laughs> you it, know, but just to, you know, I, I, you know, I would say personally, probably not, but you know, law firms have cybersecurity, um, insurance where, you know, we see all these scams where, hey, send me the $80,000 retainer and I'll send it back to you. And all of a sudden you send the check, whatever it goes to your cold taff, sends it out and you're like, money's gone. Cybersecurity will actually, um, minus your deductible, <laughs> will actually reimburse you for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for, for organizations and companies, there is cybersecurity kind of insurance, but you know, for the personal kind of investor where you're like, hey, hey, I got this great deal. Let me borrow $10,000. I'll double your money. Yeah, there's no insurance for that. Yeah. I guess just good common sense. Good right? common sense. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a little luck along the way too. Absolutely. What What about um, corporate white collar crime? Because we, we talk about, like if you look at a Enron thing or you know right. some of these huge things, Sometimes there was one person and the rest of the team didn't know. Sometimes I'm sure you've seen where it was probably a group effort to coordinate that. Is that a whole different level of 
um, expertise required from someone in your position when yeah. it's a, when it's a company versus an individual calling grandma and grandpa because they got speed dial of being able to target people over 50 and they yeah. ask them for $100 each or something. Right. What's the difference in, in those yeah, two situations? I, I would say, you know, in, ter in terms of an Enron case, normally something like that would come in internally. Like there would be a whistleblower. Like, hey, something's not right. Mm -hmm. Someone's cooking the books. And I would say in terms of that, um, SEC gets involved. There is a different SEC enforcement where prosecutors essentially prosecute certain companies like Enron. Uh, they have help from Maine Justice, Department of Justice, and the U.S. Attorney's Office. That is, those are absolutely more complex where you would have like four or five prosecutors on the case. Uh, and that's a lot different than these kind of regular fraud cases where you're like, wait a second, what's going on here, right? A uh, phone call or you're not getting your money and someone kind of, you know, causes the dominoes to fall over and, and, and then that's how you kind of come up with a case that way. So yeah, definitely different level expertise. Um, SEC always is involved when it's corporate um, and so they normally take the lead. And if you were on the defense side of something like that, is that a big team of folks? Then you guys need an army for the five prosecuting attorneys. Yeah. Where now it's a now it's a big. I can't even imagine the amount of right. paperwork and piles of stuff that you guys have to go through yeah, in a I'm, situation like that. I would probably say just like you know, in the Kenneth Lay um, CEO of Enron, you know, all the different corporate heads and probably board members get their own attorneys. If they want to sign a joint defense kind of thing, they can. But you know, normally the the kind of standard operating procedure for a prosecutor is to go to the low man on the totem pole and try to flip him, then go to the next person and try to flip mm. him, and then keep on going. And I think that's what you're kind of seeing that's going on in Georgia with the Donald Trump matter. They get all these people to flip that are lower to testify against kind of the leader, right? And that's how they get their conviction. You know, that's an interesting point. Maybe we can speak on that for <clears throat> just a minute because yeah. it's interesting to me that, and I don't follow really politics. I spend much more of my time focusing on other things than whether it be politics or even the news. The nightly news is not something that I spend much time with. And I happen to come across this, right? I happen to see yeah. it, that all these people right now that were, uh, you know, the president's aides or inner circle are now changing their story. And I'm like, the timing's interesting. We're into primary season, and you know they're trying to figure out who the next Republican person will be. To apparently, you know, Trump has a big lead, and this, that, and the other thing. And it makes me think: How often does coercion take place in these kinds of things? Where uh, are you flipping, or is there another reason for it? Like it just gets my mind spinning on you know TV dramas or something like that. Is that is that a big thing that you can tell, or, or these? situations like this really like they've been holding on to this secret and now they're spilling their truth as mm. opposed to them spilling their truth right after the, the incident. Yeah, so, you know, obviously any kind of law enforcement agency is going to be scrutinized on timing, how they bring a case. So to me, I would think that, you know, anyone that brings a case against kind of a, a known person, a national figure, We'll take that into consideration to be mm -hmm. like, hey, does this look kind of sketchy that we're doing it now, whatever. But in terms of having people plead guilty, it's it's the natural process. I mean, even mm -hmm. when I was a prosecutor, I'd always go to kind of the low person, maybe the delivery man. Hey, we're about to arrest you. You're going to go to jail. 
unless you want to cooperate. Then all of a sudden he gives us information. Maybe he'll wear a wire. Maybe he'll cooperate. Then he goes to the next person. We get him. We get him to flip. And those guys are giving what we call in the, government, the federal government a kind of a, a 5K letter, which is a potential downward departure in their sentencing for cooperating. And it just goes up, right? It goes up and you, get the, you try to get the head guy, right? And everyone else has cut a deal, right? And if they testify, you know, you have to let people know, hey, you know, you signed a deal with the government to get less time based on your, testif- your testifying, yes? And then we come back as the government and say, hey, but what's, wh- what does it say if you lie? It says if I lie, I don't get a deal. Okay, then. Right? <laughs> so just a back and forth yeah. game, but it makes sense, right? You yes. go for the lower people and then you kind of flip them and then you go, and then all of a sudden, who's left? The top guy. And all of his minions have just flipped on him. And so what we, what we hope that happens is he also kind of agrees to take a plea, right? Um, it's never the other way around. You go to the top guy and say, hey, will you sell out all your minions? Yeah, because, of course. Yeah. So yeah, you know, first in, first out, right? Man, that is, <laughs> what a, a complex thing. Like there are literally movies made about this kind of stuff. It, it, because it's true. It's so multifactorial, yeah. multi-layered. It, what it, it's gotta be an exciting, exhilarating, but like you say, potentially adrenaline sucking and exhausting procedure when you go through this again and again and again. It, does it ever um, dampen? Because again, you have this bright light about you. Yeah. But seeing what human, you, you get to see the depravity, if you will, of human right. nature in a certain way. Like one of our kids is in law enforcement and the stories that we hear, I'm like, Oh man, you got to take care of yourself emotionally. You got to take care of yourself physically because that scene that every day could beat you down. Is that something that, I mean, I would worry about that for someone on either side of what you do that when you see how people react, like that show American Greed, you ever seen that show yeah, American yeah, yeah, Greed? Yeah. I love that show, right. but at the end, the people always get busted, right? right? And that's what I love about it because they're so clever <laughs> and then they always get busted. But in real life, it doesn't always work that right. way and this and that. So. First of all, do you feel that? And second of all, how do you protect your your spirit and this? How do you carry this bright light amidst yeah. all the stuff that you're seeing every day? Right. You know, I would say a couple of things. You know, it's good that you know I did kind of switch to the defense side, right? So I could kind of you know reassure myself that some of these people that do get caught or arrested or indicted are good people. They made a mistake. Everyone makes mistakes. Sometimes the mistakes are small, sometimes they're medium, sometimes they're large, right? And, um, you know, you have to also kind of keep in mind that, you know, it is a job, right? And like any job, you do your work and then you go home and you have a family and you got to take care of that family. Um, And everything you're doing uh, at work is so that you can take care of that family, right? So, you know, I I really feel for the, the, the first responders the law enforcement officers that have to go and see the dead body, uh, those individuals that kind of every day they're talking to these victims. As federal prosecutors, we don't, we don't, we're not that close, right? We, they wrap the case up in a bow and hand it to us, mm. right? And so, you know, we talk to the victims probably six months later. So yeah, it's not, it's not as bad as those first responders. And, you know, it's good to see that now they're, they're making, you know, mental health and wellness a part of now the programs there. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it is, it is grinding, but you know, everything is grinding, 
right? I mean, <laughs> the point. nurse, the nurse, the teacher, right? Those, those individuals, they, they have a grind too. So, you know, you just, how do you protect yourself? How do you insulate yourself from, I, the you know what I, every day I'm just, I think I'm grateful for all the things that I have. I look at the positives in life. My father told me, um, you know, when you find the most, find the most positive person in your life. And if you can marry her, marry her. And if you can't marry her, make that person your best friend. Because, you know, positivity goes a long way. And I just try to stay positive, always. Right? Got my health. Right? I didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's a... Uh, you know, it's kind of just kind of a mental game, but that's kind of how, that's just me. That's how I live. So, and, and I know that you are an athlete, CrossFit athlete. Yeah. What part does physical health and stamina and endurance and energy from that play in you maintaining your bright light, your yeah. positivity and being able to do your job? So let me just tell a shout out to my gym, uh, Rigor Performance. Okay. Uh, they're uh, a great uh, CrossFit gym on Delaware uh, in South Broadway. And I will say this, that is where it's almost my uh, meditation, right? Because, you know, I was an athlete in high school, but at West Point, that's when I started developing, you know, my physical, you know, regimen in terms of working out every day and feeling good. And, you know, when the body feels good, the mind feels good. And the, the, what I like about CrossFit, because again, you know, people say it's a cult, but what I really like about CrossFit is that it makes me feel good. But also for someone that's busy like me, I mean, you know, back in the day, you used to go to the gym, 24 hour gold, whatever. You'd spend two hours there. Yes. You know, 45 minutes on the cardio machine. Yes. And you, we were just moving. You weren't even sweating, yeah. right? And yeah. then you'd have to hit, you know, push press, right? Today was a push right. day, a pre, you know, it was a pull day, whatever. What's great about CrossFit is, um, you can get a workout in in 12 minutes. Mm -hmm. You do a 12-minute AMRAP and you're done. Yeah. You are spent. Yeah. The other thing I like about CrossFit is it's a community. At least our gym is. I mean, we, I find clients there, right? I find friends there, um, you know, and we support different organizations. So my recommendation is if you ever go somewhere, right, and you're like, God, I'm brand new, I don't know, what, go to the CrossFit gym. Mm. You'll make friends just like that. And yeah. so that's what I really like about it. Um, and like I said, I mean, listen, I always, when I, when I hire people, I always look for people that played sports because number one, it's a team, right? A team kind of environment. Number two is I know their stamina is good. Like when they, when their body says, oh, I gotta quit, they'll go that extra mile, right? So that's what I like about it. It's so cool. It is fun. We'll talk about it more off air, okay, but okay. I, was, I was actually, part of an ownership group of a place called Project Move, and mm -hmm. it was on Bellevue and Santa Fe, and mm -hmm. it was a CrossFit gym. And one of the things that we loved most about that place was the community, where yeah. we grew together, we suffered together, we celebrated together, we did work in the community together, yep. and there was just something about that. And I think no matter what field you're in, what endeavors you're all about, that right. you need to find that community, and you need to challenge yourself and test your body and push your limits, and all those kinds of things. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm really happy to hear you say that that's a big part yeah. of your life. Um, as you go through your day, do you have mentors that you still look to to help you become better in different parts of your life? Absolutely, I call my mentor every day, right? I call him every day to just say, hi, what's going on? You know, because, you know, people have mentors, people have therapists, right? I think that's 
good, mm-hmm. right? Because you know, as you do get older, um, it's tough to have your buddies, your boys, right? Because you know, when you're young, 20, 25, whatever, you have that kind of general time we can go out. What you, what are you doing? Let's go out. When when you have a family and kids, you know, it's it's tough to have that kind of relationship with someone where you know, you can kind of just talk to them and say, hey, what's going on? Oh man, this happened at work or this happened, you know, at home and you kind of just talk it out. Um, And so with my mentor, you know, I call them every day, let them know how things are going. You know, sometimes it's a one-way discussion. A lot of times it's a two-way discussion, but I think that's something needed um, in a healthy life. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, As we wind this up, if someone wanted to go to law school to yeah. be an attorney, what advice would you have for them? What would you give them? What perspective? And and if they said they wanted to kind of follow in your footsteps to right. help people on the defense side, right. any thoughts that you would share? Yeah, you know, I would say, number one, uh, do it because you want to, right? Um, and um, likability goes a long way. It really does. Not only in getting clients, maintaining clients, but also in life. If people like you, people will want to be around you, right? And I think people take that for granted sometimes. That is brilliant advice. You know, and listen, <laughs> I always... brilliant. It, no, it's brilliant. It's, it's yeah. simply brilliant. Yeah. And I ask this question to every single person, so I'm going to ask yeah. it okay. to you too, but you may have already answered it. All right, it. go ahead. If you've ever been given one piece of advice... And the one that your dad gave you was, I've never heard it, is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, or you've learned something along the way that's now part of your fabric, your DNA, that is fundamental to who you are that you'd be willing to share with us. What would that piece mm-hmm. of advice or that learning, that piece of learning be? You know what, I, w- I will say this. Um, I was given this advice when I was a plebe at West Point, and a graduate told me this, and he said, be outstanding, but don't stand out. Right. Wow. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, at first I was like, you know, as a, you know, high school senior, I was like, what does that mean? But, you know, if you stand out sometimes, a target gets placed on your back, right? So you can still be outstanding, but, you know, don't make the most noise, right? Don't, you know, always just, you know, be the one that, you know, has to turn in your paper 30 minutes early, you know, because you aced it, right? Just don't stand out, right? But you can be outstanding still. So that's still kind of, sticks to me and and uh, I remember that I I will remember that forever my friend <laughs> come that on is now. Good. no that is good no. that is good so yeah. you've given me three amazing nuggets <laughs> that I'm gonna remember so okay. um, lastly if yeah. anyone wanted to learn more about your story learn more about what you do contact reach out to you uh, what how would they do that what's best yeah way? I mean listen um, I have no problem giving people my phone number uh, my phone number is eight zero eight eight four zero three zero zero two. Um, and my email address is uh, msong at fnclaw.com. And, you know, the one thing that I always pride myself in is if you look at my cell phone, I have no messages. I always clear my messages every day before I go to bed. My text messages clear every day because when I wake up in the morning, I want to stay, is to start my day brand new and fresh. And so the best way to do that is to just get that contact directly. Call my cell phone. That's fine. Love it. Yeah. Mr. Michael Song, absolute pleasure having you here, my friend. Thank you, And man. as I think it's important that 
as a partner at Cantafio and Song that people know that you guys care. You do it the right way. You can hear it. You can feel it. And right. so I can't thank you enough for taking the time and, and spending that with me today. Yeah. Anytime, buddy. All right. We'll thank talk you. again. All right. Sounds okay. good.